Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to a yet another episode of the Get Your Goat podcast. A lot to talk about today. New relationship developments between Goff and McVeigh and their divorce. The restructuring of contracts, what that means, who's done it, who should do it. What's the uh, play there for the teams that aren't picking up and restructuring? A little bit of NBA action. Recap of some Monday March Madness. My NHL top five and a great get your goat take to finish off a podcast. So we'll get right into it. Right in between the personality clash between Jared Goff and Sean McVay, quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams and head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, and their breakup, that is the main reason why uh, reports came out from ESPN today saying that, you know, McVay, uh, the past couple years, constantly have cussed Goth out, even on the sideline during games. Uh, that crushed Jared Goff. Uh, he felt like he was being micromanaged uh, most of the time for two years. And it's sad to see that when you saw the two years uh, with Sean McVay and Jared Goff, how well they've done, and then kind of this split personality and how they look the past two years. And then what was the deal breaker was really that Sean McVay was all in on John Wolford over Goff. It was said that he was a little Drew Brees-esque, and they liked his ability, uh, his routine that he had coming into the practice early, uh, staying late, uh, that kind of guy. And, you know, that's kind of what, you know, practice squad backups do is, hey, they want to put in that work to one day do it. And John Wolford did that and matched Sean McVay's hyper, crazy personality where Goff was that calm, cool, collected individual. Uh, you know, polar opposites. So I totally get uh, why McVay wanted out. And I wouldn't be surprised to see why Goff wanted out as well. And Goff happy to embrace a fresh new start with the Detroit Lions. But it's crazy because you look at their success... The past four years, Goff and McVay, they are tied for the second most most wins with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, I believe at 42. Uh, only one person has more wins during that time frame, and that is Tom Brady, the GOAT. And when you look at even closer, you look at the two, season, two first seasons Jared Goff and Sean McVay had, uh, 2016 and or 2017-2018, uh, Jared Goff threw for 8,492 yards to go along with 60 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, went to two Pro Bowls, and a Super Bowl appearance. Stafford, Matthew Stafford, their new quarterback, who I'm also very high on, in that same span, threw for 8,223 yards, so just a little less, 200 less yards, 50 touchdowns, that's less, that's 10 less than Jared Goff, 
and 21 interceptions. That's two more interceptions in golf. No playoff appearances, no Super Bowl appearances, no division wins, none of the above. Uh, so you really see how hot they started and the disconnect there. But then also in that first time in 2017, 2018, you know, they had the Legion of Zoom with Todd Gurley, Sammy Watkins, Cooper Cup, uh, Brandon Cooks. They had a great offense, Tyler Higbee, Gerald Everett. They had a great high-powered offense. They had a great offensive line. The protective a quarterback, Jared Goff gets the ball out fast. The uh, receivers could make plays. And the past couple of years, you know, Brandon Cook's gone. Uh, Sammy Watkins gone. You only have people in the slot, such as Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. You don't have a deep threat on the team like they used to have on the team that could stretch the ball down the field. So to me, this isn't Goff's fault. Uh, you had some executives say that Jared Goff, can, he can be a top five quarterback with a clean pocket, good weapons, but he, if he doesn't have that, he is not a top five quarterback. And to me, a lot of quarterbacks rely on, you know what, having a clean pocket and good weapons. Look at Tom Brady this year. He had one of the best offensive lines in football. And he had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown. Imagine him in that situation. I bet you Jared Goff would excel and do much better than how his season went with Sean McVay this year. You look at Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have the best of weapons. Uh, but he has a great offensive line. He has a good running back, good running game, and Aaron Jones. He has arguably the best wide receiver in football, Devontae Adams. They've got a couple of other good ones, and, you know, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scanley. So, you know, they have playmakers on the team. You know, even Russell Wilson, he had a bad offensive line, but he had Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, David Moore. Uh, Josh Allen had a decent offensive line, had Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, who could really stretch the ball, you know, downfield. Uh, Drew Brees had a good offensive line, had Michael Thomas, had Emmanuel Sanders, had Alvin Kamara. So a lot of these teams, you know, Patrick Mahomes, good offensive line, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Mikel Hardman, uh, Pringle, uh, Sammy Watkins is over there. So you really have great teams, have it all. They have a great quarterback. They have a good offensive line. They have weapons. That's what good teams have. That's what they do. So quarterbacks are a byproduct of that success, but also their wide receivers, their tight ends are a byproduct of that success too. You know, it's... A perfect mutual relationship between the two that thrives and works. And that's what, you know, a good offense is. Uh, you know, you look at offenses like the Texans last year. Guess what? They had Deshaun Watson, great quarterback. But guess what? He had no help. No offensive line. No wide receiver help. No running back. That's not going to win you games. That's a perfect example. 
the Panthers, they have a great running back in Christian McCaffrey, but there's nothing else so the defense knows how to work it. So really, I don't think that's fair to say of Jared Goff, because I think if you were to have, you know, uh, when he was back in the day with Todd Gurley and the Legion of Zoom, we saw how potent that offense was and how well he did. Uh, so I think Matthew Stafford is an upgrade because of the experience. But guess what? Matthew Stafford's never been to a Super Bowl. Uh, Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. That's huge. Jared Goff, to me, I think has more playoff experience than Matthew Stafford does. Uh, even though Matthew Stafford has, you know, the better numbers and overall. But, you know, you talk about Jared Goff, like the past couple years have been horrible. The past two years when the Rams were 9-7. and seven, uh, And this past year they were, uh, I think, 10-6. and six. But guess what? Uh, this year he threw for almost 4,000 yards. Uh, better than his 2017 Pro Bowl season the year before 2019 he threw for 4600 yards uh that just put him up up there with his super or his super bowl appearance season and 2018 the year prior to that so really his numbers are you know close to the same uh this year his quarterback rating was higher than last year in his rookie season the second highest of his career his Completion percentage this year was the highest it's ever been in his career. So he definitely is a good quarterback. He has the makings of a good quarterback. But one thing that you can ding him on is his interceptions. Those have risen each year except for uh, this year. Uh, he didn't have as many interceptions as, he, interceptions as he did last year, which can be said. But he is a great quarterback great talent he was in the right system and then all of a sudden he wasn't then with the personality clashes you know you you're not winning all these things build up and it takes its toll on you also off the field so I feel for Jared Goff he's in a spot now in Detroit where he has no pressure to win a Super Bowl he doesn't uh you know in LA with the Rams with that defense you had the pressure to win the Super Bowl Every year. Now you're on the Lions. You have no pressure. You're technically, to me, you're like the best player on that team. They let Kenny Galladay go. As I've said before, they have no wide receivers. No defensive help. So really, you're doing well for yourself. You have, really, uh, you can set expectations for yourself. Stat-wise, I want to throw this many yards. Cut down on the interceptions. uh, Do this and that. But really... There's no lofty expectations for you in Detroit. We're not expecting, Detroit fans are not expecting a Super Bowl in the next three years. And if they are, uh, those are delusional fans uh, who expect a Super Bowl every year when the Lions are not getting one. But one quality I'll give to Jared Goff that I'll get into now uh, with players is Jared Goff restructured his contract. And I thought that was very surprising that Jared Goff would do that. I feel like he should have maximized his money this year, get his money early, uh, because guess what? The Lions aren't paying anybody else. They're not spending big on free agency. Uh, they're not in a win-now mode. 
so I was very surprised by that, but he opened up $15 million in cap room, so his cap hits only $10 million this year, not even in the top half of quarterbacks. So he's making less than the top half, and I think he's better you know, than 17, 16, 17 other quarterbacks. You know, his future cap hits are $30 million, and I think that's around his range. But this year, he's doing the Detroit Lions a major solid, even though we're kind of tying up years to him in the future. And I think he can be the Lions' long-term solution. Uh, you can't really evaluate uh, Jared Goff this year. I mean, I think you can with some of his throws, his reads. You can definitely do that, evaluate him. Uh, but you can't say, uh, you know, we expect playoffs, win a division, uh, when, you know, the only receiver I can think of on their team is Quintess Cephas and TJ Hawkinson in a battle line and a defense that has a bunch of temporary solutions, like the right outside linebacker they signed today from the Saints, uh, Alex Anzalone, uh, you know, Jamie Collins and Romeo Cora, very nice you know, rotational pieces, but they are not, you know, the superstar cornerstone franchise pieces. But I applaud Jared Goff for restructuring his contract, giving the Lions more room to uh, wiggle and uh, make a move or something, see what happens in the draft. But I applaud Jared Goff for doing that. To me, that's a Class A act when you could be cashing in right now. So I give Jared Goff major major props for that. But you also look at the players that have restructured their contracts and how well they are, how their team is doing. You look at the Buccaneers, Tom Brady and Levante David restructured their contracts. Uh, Nobody kind of thought they would, especially Levante David. Tom Brady's been doing it some time, but they thought nobody would be bringing back Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett, uh, Ndama Kongsu, all in the same season. And guess what? They did. They re-signed uh, Ndama Kongsu today. They're the winners of free agency. They've re-signed everybody. The only outstanding players they have left to re-sign is Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette. We'll see how those uh, shake up. But to me, those aren't you know major keystone pieces. Antonio Brown's a nice third or fourth wide receiver. Uh, Leonard Fournette is a good running back. Uh, to me, I think Ronald Jones is that regular season guy, but you know, playoff Lenny did show it, so I'd like to have him back, preferably more over Antonio Brown. But you look at how they won free agency because they restructured their deals, allowed for other players to get money, other players to come in through free agency. We saw the same thing with the Chiefs this year. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey restructured their contracts. Look at what they did in free agency. Uh, even though they lost their two tackles, uh, they upgraded at the guard position with Joe Thune, and they got a decent right tackle at Kyle Long, uh, which is great. I don't think he's at Mitchell Schwartz level, but he is definitely an upgrade over Rimmers and the guy they had. Now they just need a left tackle if they don't think Rimmers is the guy, but it definitely softened the blow. I believe Chris Jones restructured as well. So it's great to see guys do that, open up cap room uh, for their team, spend on free agency. And when you see that, now we'll also get into 
but players who did not restructure their contracts, who I think should. Tyreek Hill, uh, the Chiefs asked him to restructure the contract, and he said no. He just goes out and plays ball. Well, Tyreek, well, I'm glad you just go out and play ball because that's what everybody else on your team does. They go out and play ball. And you're lucky that Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones restructured their contract and did it the way he did. And they relied on them first and not yourself because if they didn't and you all were like yourself, Tyreek, then you wouldn't have Joe Thune, you wouldn't have Kyle Long, you'd have no offensive line, Patrick Mahomes would have no help, no time to throw the football to you, and guess what, you'd be an expendable piece, because you're a downfield threat, and if Patrick Mahomes is not protected for more than two seconds, you are not getting the ball back at all. Simply put, uh, so Tyreek, go make your money, I'm glad you're doing it, but I'm glad the other players on their team uh, sacrificed so that they could bring in players and talent to help out Mahomes on the line. Good for you, Tyreek. Make your money. Go play ball. See how long you last in the Chiefs organization. Another player, Russell Wilson. He didn't restructure his contract. Again, I don't think the Seahawks asked him. He didn't ask the Seahawks to. But guess what? He's a quarterback who should of restructured his contract. Why is that? Well, you publicly shame your team and say, hey, my offensive line is trash. They're not good. Well, that makes the five already trash players, as you said, not feel good about themselves and the job they have done. So that's great. That's a good start to, you know, asking for more is first throwing your Offensive line down the uh, pipes, the bush, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you already have no time to throw the football. Uh, let's see if they even want to block you this upcoming season. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if your right tackle said, hey, uh, I'll let you blow by this one on this one play. Maybe you know, the opposing coaches or players will come up with some deal and they'll just pay the offensive line to just let them walk through and get to Russell. Because uh, if you think you have no time and you call out your offensive line like that, uh, don't expect to all of a sudden have them magically play great this upcoming season. That's not how life works, Russell. But, you know, you got a wish. Uh, you got a right guard. Maybe he'll be your best friend and you'll at least have one pass rusher not get to you. You got Chris Carson back, but guess what? If you wanted a better offensive line... If you wanted another weapon, if you wanted to keep defensive players, you would have done what Patrick Mahomes did, what Tom Brady did, what other players have done, and restructured your contract. You would have said, hey, I'll take the hit. Here's $20 million. Uh, put it into a bonus. Put it for future cap hits. I'll still get my money. Uh, but you go out. You take this $20 million, and I want you to sign another offensive lineman or two offensive linemen, sign a defensive player, Let's get back to the Super Bowl. But no, he didn't do that. So guess what? I don't feel any empathy for you uh, when other players are restructuring their contracts and you're just sitting there uh, saying, hey, you know what? The Bears sound like a good place to play like. The Saints sound like a good place to play uh, with. You know, the Cowboys, that wouldn't be a bad spot. Uh, I wouldn't be fine going to any of those teams. I mean, I'll take a trade. You know, my offensive line isn't good. 
you know, that's not the correct attitude to have. You know, everybody wants more. Everybody wants more weapons, a better offensive line. Everybody wants it. Are you going to be the one to take about change? And then same with a yet another quarterback. And the same dilemma is Russell Wilson. That's Aaron Rodgers. A man who doesn't say much. Uh, but when he does, it's striking. He doesn't say he wants more. But sometimes he questions the decision making of his team. Uh, guess what? You have a great offensive line already, Aaron Rodgers. You have a number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams. You have a top five running back in Aaron Jones. You have a great team. You have a up-and-coming defense uh, with Kenny Clark and Jair Alexander and them boys, Zadarius Smith. Maybe you want another wide receiver too. Guess what? You would go the Tom Brady route, but Patrick Mahomes route and say, hey, I want a true number two wide receiver like an Emmanuel Sanders or a number three wide receiver. Or I want a left end like J.J. Watt to pair with this up-and-coming defensive line with Kenny Clark and Darius Smith. I want that. Guess what? Your team is up against the cap like the Seahawks are. Uh, you're going to have to restructure your contract. Oh, but you don't. Why? Is it because you had to buy Shane and Woodley a big diamond stone? Is that why, Aaron Rodgers? If you want a better team, if you want to win another Super Bowl, you are up against the clock, my friend. Uh, you can restructure your contract. You can say, hey, take this $20 million, sign me another wide receiver, sign another defensive player, because guess what? I was so close to getting to the Super Bowl this year, this past year, closer than I've been before, because the other NFC Championship games have been blowouts, but this one was actually pretty close. I took us back, but I couldn't do everything. I need one more piece. But no, you don't do that, and that's okay, because guess what? The Packers aren't the team to spend in free agency. They don't make... Uh, crazy draft picks. They're a conservative team. You would be the one to approach them and say, hey, this is what I need. I'm the star player. Give it to me. And guess what? I'll help you out a bit with my contract. That is what should go down. That's what I believe should go down. And you may not be on my side. You may think, hey, Josh, I'm all for players getting their money you know, screw their team and whatever they want to do, work around it. That's not me. That's not my mentality. You know, I think, you know, you have 53 players on a squad. Uh, you know, it's best to diversify the money how it is and, you know, give it to other players because guess what? It takes more than one player to win a Super Bowl. That's my NFL take for right now. I'll get more onto that later. Again, we'll flip back to this switch. But now, we will talk a little about the NBA. And I made a pick on Monday. One pick. It was the Pacers and the Bucks. I picked the Bucks to win. I was correct about that. I hit that nail right on the head. 
And the Bucks also had no Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they still won. And they played great. They shot better than from the three-point uh, line than the whole field, which is surprising. They shot 60% from three, and everybody was scoring from three, getting points. Chris Middleton, Brooks Lopez, Drew Holiday, uh, Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo added a few points, even though he didn't reach double digits. Brian Forbes, Portis. I mean, this team went all out, crushed, demolished the Pacers. Pacers were no match. Uh, Sabanis, no match. Karis LeVert coming back, no match. Uh, Bucks were too much to bear. Even shorthanded. That was great to see. Uh, see them win like that without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, I know the team they played against was not great. Not a you know playoff team. But it's still great to have that win without your superstar player. Then, my Lakers lost yet another one yesterday. No LeBron. Uh, Montrezl Harrell, to me, has stepped up. In both LeBron and AD's absence, which is great, uh, but now you're gonna have to have everybody contributing on a high level. You're gonna have to have Wesley Matthews putting up those same amount of points. Uh, Caruso, Schroeder, Kuzma, uh, you're gonna see them putting up points. Uh, to me, one eleven is a good mark to win games. It's just their defense now will seriously take a hit without LeBron James. And AD, it's can they get enough stops? Can they play defense? Can they get into runs and not allow the other team to score the ball while doing this? I don't know if the Lakers can do it. The Lakers are right now entering a cold winter. Even though it's spring outside, we're actually in spring now. Uh, The clocks have been turned on the Lakers and they're not in spring yet. They get another month or two of winter before LeBron and AD return both. Uh, So hopefully they can endure this winter and make it to spring and summer uh, good enough to make a run for it in the NBA playoffs. But tonight I will pick two more games. And the first one will be the Celtics and the Bucks. Bucks are very hot. On a seven-game winning streak. But guess what? They're not playing uh, with Giannis tonight. Giannis is out again. So if Giannis is out, I'm rolling with the Celtics. Celtics are a much better team than the Pacers. uh, Even though they've been inconsistent this year. Only 21-22. and But they are a better team. They've won a previous matchup against the Celtics already. uh, With Giannis in the lineup. But I think without Giannis, uh, the Celtics are going to do it even though I do expect a spirited effort from Milwaukee. I like the Celtics in this one as an underdog. Then the next game is a marquee matchup of the Nets and the Jazz. This will be a great game. I have the Jazz winning because the Nets are without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, two of the best players on the planet. Yes, they still have James Harden. James Harden right in the thick of the MVP conversation. Jazz are at home. Uh, Jazz are sliding. Well, James Harden is on a tear right now. 
But Utah, to me, has to win this game. I'm picking Utah. They're the big favorite. I think they can get it done. They're at home. A great home team. I think if the Jazz lose tonight to a shorthanded Nets team with no Katie and Kyrie and it's just James Harden, I think you have a bigger narrative. I think most people will be talking about how serious the Nets are. And now, you know, they're the ultimate favorites to win the championship. But I think it's just uh, a statement on the Jazz saying that the Utah Jazz are not good enough. Uh, Their first half was a facade. They're not the team that we thought they were. They're not the number one team. They're not representing the West. That's what should be the statement if the Jazz happen to lose this game because they are sliding right now, especially after the All-Star break, uh, which is sad to see. But that's what happens. And if they lose tonight and the Suns are only one game back, uh, you could see a major, major shift in the Western Conference standings really, really soon with the Utah Jazz playing poorly, with LeBron and AD being out, uh, you know, the strong core four that you had to start the season, things could start shifting dramatically very soon, starting tonight, if the Utah Jazz lose this game. Now, Moving on to college basketball, my pick on Monday was that Michigan would beat LSU. It would be close. I said LSU can do it, but I'm rolling with Michigan. Go blue, and I was right about it. Michigan was down early. They were, but they stormed back, took the halftime lead, and really never looked back to me that whole game. Yes, it got close. In the second half, there was bits and parts, but Michigan certainly, uh, you know, took control of the game there at the end, winning 86-78, and they played great. Eli Brooks, uh, to me, was the one who controlled the pace in the first half. Uh, He was great. Uh, Both him, Wagner, and Dickinson, the first half were great. Uh, Then Eli Brooks kind of took a step back in the second half, even though he finished with 21. Sean D. Brown... Picked it up in the second half. He added 21 points tied with Brooks. Wagner and Dickinson uh, still did their thing. But this was a great win for Michigan. Beating the great guard play of you know Cameron Thomas and Smart. Who got 30 points in 27. Who were both tremendous. But they didn't get the additional help that Michigan did. Michigan shot better from three. Shot better from the field. Uh, their defense was much better. Then LSU, they out-rebounded them, uh, more assists. Uh, even though they did turn the ball over, they didn't have as much fouls. So it was just a great win by Michigan. Great win overall. To me, the other huge win that I didn't expect was USC over Kansas. I think USC was you know the one-point line favorite. Uh, but, you know, Kansas is a good team. Uh, if it was a one-point favorite for USC, I did not expect a 34-point blowout that the Mobley brothers did to USC. Uh, Isaiah and Evan uh, took the heart out of USC. Uh, they were great from three, shot 60%. Uh, their defense was stifling. Kansas 
was not in rhythm all night. This USC defense was very active, hands on the ball, very, very good. Uh, this USC team looks great. Uh, and now they have a matchup with Oregon. Uh, two Pac-12 teams meeting in the Sweet 16. And after Oregon just crushed Iowa, I mean, this will be a great, intense matchup. I don't know yet who I'm going to pick because I had, I didn't have one of this matchup at all in my bracket. Uh, I did not have USC making it one time, I believe, to the Sweet 16 to face Oregon and vice versa, Iowa to USC. So this will be a great, great matchup. And it shows that Michigan, uh, to go back, Michigan's just a March team. I think they've made it to four straight Sweet 16s. And when you make it to the second weekend, you're really just a great team. And we've seen that recently. Uh, Villanova, same thing. Syracuse is a double-digit seed. Loyola Chicago when they enter the tournament. Gonzaga, there are just teams built for March. There's teams not built for March. Michigan, and as I said, those teams are some of those teams, whereas the other ones are not, such as, you know, the Illinois, Ohio State's, Iowa's. Uh, they're not ones, you know, some of the other ones, uh, you know, have won recently, but have been out early, like the North Carolinas, uh, the Dukes, uh, the Baylors. But, you know, you kind of have those strong, solid teams right now that, in March, you have to watch out for, even in a team like Villanova, who lose one of their best players, and they're in the top 16 teams in the nation. That's commendable. Now, moving on to the NHL. And before I get into my top five, I'm going to make three picks for tonight's game, because you have some earlier games on tonight. You have the Ducks. In the wild tonight, and with Kapril Kaprizov going off this year as a rookie, playing great, I think the wild are going to win this game. Uh, they just beat the Ducks 2-1, to one, but before that they had a two-game brutal stretch against the Avalanche. But I think Minnesota is just too tough, too good for the Ducks. I think the wild get it done. Then my team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, play the Buffalo Sabres, and I think this should be a blowout. I think Pittsburgh should blow out the Sabres. But then again, you have no Tanev or Zucker or Malkin, so you don't really know how this will go. Buffalo is on a 14-game losing streak. Well, my team's lost three out of their last four games without those two players I aforementioned. So we'll see. Uh, you know, Buffalo, as I said, is on a 14-game losing streak. They're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, who own the longest losing streak in the 04-05 season at 18 games. If Pittsburgh beats them, you know, back-to-back in their schedule, then Buffalo's on a 16-game losing streak right there to own the record that the Pittsburgh Penguins once did. And I hope the Buffalo Sabres do that. And if the Pittsburgh Penguins lose to the Sabres tomorrow night or tonight, that's just truly embarrassing that's a new low. I don't care if you lose to the Devils uh, twice in a series or you know three out of four to them. I don't care. But you lose to a team as bad as Buffalo, who they're leading uh, 
assist leader is Jack Eichel, and he's only played like 10 games this season. That's pretty pathetic. I expect the Penguins to play hot tonight and get the win over the Sabres. Then the final game is the Los Angeles Kings versus San Jose Sharks. Uh, Both teams have been very inconsistent. Uh, San Jose was on a huge slide before they just recently beat the Kings. But I think the Kings are going to get their revenge tonight and win. Uh, I don't think the Sharks are that good. I've watched a few of their games this year, and they are pretty bad uh, all around. Uh, Their players are definitely aging, and you can see that. So I definitely have the Kings winning this game, jumping the Coyotes for a fifth spot in the West Division. Now, time to get into my top five NHL teams. Starting with number five, the Florida Panthers. Why are they number five? Well, Aaron Ekblad has been great this season. This whole team has played great. Uh, Last week, I had them right at the cusp of number two, uh, number one. But they have been a little shaky of recently. Uh, They've lost a couple in a row, uh, three out of four. But guess what? These games are not blowouts. They're making them close even when they're down early. They come back, which counts. It shows your resilience. Uh, shows what the team is made of. If you can come back and make it a game, that's why the Panthers are number five. They're still right in the thick of their division. Six points out of first, one point out of second, and have a sizable stretch over the next closest team to them at the four spot. But Florida is one of the top five teams of the league. Top three team in their division. Number four, the Carolina Hurricanes. Why? Sebastian Ajo, Martinikis, Vincent Trocek, uh, Andrei Smeshnikov. They are very, very good, young, talented team. Again, they've been a little shaky recently. They just got back on the winning track after suffering a three-game losing streak. But this team is very dangerous offensively. Uh, and it's just sad that they're in a tough division with the Panthers, the Blackhawks, the Lightning. But you have that three core that have separated themselves above the rest. The Lightning, the Hurricanes, and the Panthers. But with the Hurricanes sandwiched right there in the two spot in that division, uh, they are definitely a top five team in this league. Number three. The New York Islanders, why? Back-to-back wins over the Philadelphia Flyers without their captain and star player uh, Anders Lee uh, was out against the Capitals when he got injured. They lost that game, then lost a securing game uh, to the Flyers, but now they are back in the winning streak. Proves that they can still win without their heart and soul of the team, but they could still make a move. Uh, near the trade deadline and fill that hole somehow. But if they are winning without their star player in your first in your division, a great division, you know, with the Capitals, the Penguins, the Bruins, the Flyers, the Rangers, you are doing something right and they play great defense. This is a team, team game in hockey and nobody does it better than the Islanders have done it playing as a team this year. Number two. The Vegas Golden Knights, 
recently Patch Reddy and Alex Tuck have been on a tear playing really well. They've won six out of their past seven games. They're first in their division right over the Avalanche. And as I said, they had Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, one of the best goaltenders in the league, one of the best goaltenders this year, uh, who's been that rock and net for them and who's been bailing them out of games. But now their offense is clicking, and not only is Fleury playing great, but this whole offense is playing great as well, and they're scoring at a tremendous high rate as of recently. But we will have to see if they continue to keep this up or not. That's why they're number two. Now, number one, number one, two weeks in a row, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have won four in a row, and they're sitting at first not only in their division, but the entire league for good measure. They're one of the best teams, uh, one of the best goaltenders, and Andre Vasilevsky balanced offensively, even with the loss of Nikita Kucherov. They are still playing great and have the plus best goal differential by far in all of hockey at plus 43. The next closest is the Avalanche at plus 35. So they are winning games, scoring a ton, ton of goals. Goaltending defense playing great. Victor Hedman, again, playing great. Could be a Norris Trophy finalist, as long with Aaron Ekblad in that division. So this is a very... Good team. So there you have my top five. The Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the New York Islanders, Vegas Golden Knights, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, there's also golf on today. One of the key matches is the match play. One of the best tournaments. One of my favorite tournaments is match play. Uh, Ian Poulter. Beat McElroy today, Rory McElroy, one of the best in the world, six and five. But Ian Poulter is one of the best ever in match play tournaments, so I was not surprised at that. Uh, but Dustin Johnson is playing in this. Uh, DeChambeau as well, Jordan Spieth won. So there is great talent here in this tournament. And Austin, let's see who wins this, but definitely keeping a track of the match play. Now, my final get-your-goat take is to me, you really have the five best quarterbacks with one Super Bowl. Which one is the best one out of the five? To me, you're top five already, and two of these are still playing the game. Uh, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, and Johnny Unitas. Which one would you take? Personally, I feel like a lot of people would choose Russell. A lot would choose Brett Favre. A handful would also choose Aaron Rodgers. I feel like most people would choose Aaron Rodgers. But to me, I'm going with Drew Brees. I would roll with Drew Brees out of all five of those quarterbacks. If you had to pick one of those to be your franchise quarterback for 20 years, I would choose Drew Brees. Why is that? Uh, People like to say, you know, he was short. He defined the short aspect of the game and was great. You know, they just said he had an average arm, average talent, uh, which is not the case because he was one of the best quarterbacks of all time, all time most passing yards. 
He has so many records, but also the thing is his completion percentage at such a high rate and best in the NFL. That, to me, is why I would take him. He can make the difficult throws uh, seem easy. And that's what Drew Brees did his entire life. He fit the ball into the small holes that nobody thought possible. Uh, he would make throws that uh, weren't you know great and spectacular like Aaron Rodgers does on the run or like Russell Wilson or even Brett Favre. Uh, but he'd make the correct throw. Uh, you know, you can make ar- argument the same thing for Aaron Rodgers. He makes a correct throw uh, as well. He doesn't turn a ball over. And that's true, but the records are all hold with Drew Brees. And the one thing to me that Drew Brees has above the rest is his leadership and respect. And everybody, I believe, on the Saints locker room has that. Uh, Jameis Winston the other day got emotional talking about Drew Brees and only being on that team uh, for one year and the mentorship and the connection that he had with Drew Brees. Uh, We don't talk about the leadership with any of these other players other than uh, Brett Favre and uh, Johnny Unitas. Nobody tells, says Russell Wilson is our leader. He's the number one guy. Uh, He's the one who's going to get it done. Uh, We trust in him. We respect him. He's our guy. After those comments he made the other day, I don't think he'll ever have that full respect. And he never even did when he threw that interception on the one-yard line to Malcolm Butler, the craziest play in Super Bowl history. Uh, Richard Sherman even said that, you know, you couldn't probably trust him. You didn't want the ball thrown down in the red zone. Aaron Rodgers, same thing. Uh, It does not seem like he has the full respect and command of his locker room. Whereas Drew Brees did, he was friendly with them all, uh, he was friends with them all, uh, he had the respect, the camaraderie, uh, helped out the town, so really he had the whole backing of the state and players that came to play with him, uh, loved him, I uh, guess, you know, you might have people like Cameron Jordan, Michael Thomas, that, you know, kind of want Russell Wilson and a new younger quarterback, and, and respectfully so, deservedly so, but they all love Drew Brees down there, I would take Drew Brees over any of those guys. He's a proven winner, uh, and I'd take his one Super Bowl ring over the other Super Bowl rings that uh, these other ones had where Russell Wilson got carried by his defense. Aaron Rodgers, kind of the same thing, didn't play great leading up. Uh, Johnny Unitas exited in the Super Bowl when he got injured. Brett Favre lost one to the Patriots to never got back. Uh, so really, to me, Drew Brees is a guy, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So, I will leave you with that. And that question, out of these five quarterbacks, who would you want on your team for 20 years to be that one foundational piece? Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, or Johnny Unitas? You have my pick. What's yours? I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.